We return this morning to Matthew chapter 4. We pick up our study in verse 18. This morning we'll be considering Matthew 4, 18 to 22. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets, and followed him. And going on from hence, he saw two other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee the father, mending their nets. And Jesus called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Father, this morning we are so glad to be to this crucial moment in the record concerning Jesus the Christ, our Lord, our Savior, as presented to us by thy servant, Matthew. We know that Matthew has a particular drive of thy spirit to present to us Jesus as King of the Jews and the kingdom that he brought to bear in the first century, a kingdom for which we even yet pray, awaiting the return of Christ in this century. As your disciples have now prayed for over 2,000 years, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us then to receive with joy and enthusiasm the testimony of Christ in this gospel presentation of Matthew. And help us today to see something in this familiarized call of these disciples that would be compelling and stretching and encouraging and strengthening and challenging to us all. We thank you again for the occasion. We ask your blessing upon us, for we pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. Fishing. That is still about fish. Although the cost of my license last year was exorbitant in my mind. Fishing. That is now about email and text messages and spam calls. Fishing, that is about evangelism and sharing the gospel with sinners who are on their way to a forever death. We come to a fishing text. In verse 18, you have the word casting. That means that Andrew and Peter were fishing. That's how you fished, cast the net. In verse 21, you have the word mending. And that's how James and John were preparing to fish. So you have a text in which the simple record is of men fishing and men preparing to fish. And, of course, the Lord Jesus comes along, as any kid in Sunday school can tell you, and I will make you fishers of men if you follow 
me. The small handful of fishermen for fish in this congregation do so only as a matter of fun and recreation. No one in this congregation needs to catch a fish today for food or for sustenance. None of us work in the fishing business. In fact, a lot of the fish we catch, if not most of the fish we catch, are quickly released, aren't they, Eli? Yep, Eli can tell you that. Therefore, we might not think that the Lord Jesus would say to any of us, follow me and I will make you fishers of men as the imperative to a life-altering change of activity and occupation. However, I have read, and there's good documentation, that the idiom, fishers of men, existed before the first century invitation of the Lord Jesus. The term fishers of men had long been used by Greek and Roman philosophers before the earthly life of Christ, and in the case of those philosophers, meant the catching of the minds of men by educated persuasion and academic pursuit. I assure you that that was not what Jesus had in mind when he called for the four actual fishermen to become fishers of men at his Making. One of the most important things about this text as read is the fact is that nobody can become a fisher of men just because they want to. Nobody has capacity to make themselves a fisher of men. One of the most interesting things about this passage of scripture is that the invitation to become a fisher of men not only came from the Lord, but it requires the Lord's own doing. The Lord's own making, the Lord's own creating. And so Jesus is saying to these men, follow me and I will make you something that you are not, but you shall be in cooperation with me. Matthew's gospel account of Christ here in chapter 4 has taken us quickly from the Lord's interrogation by the father of lies as appointed by God the Father, to the initiation of the Lord's public preaching ministry. And now, as we continue, we read of the Lord's invitation to some selected and very familiar men. Again, Matthew chapter 4, interrogation, initiation, and now invitation. Comparing gospel accounts allows us to say that the Lord's preaching ministry out of Capernaum attracted wide regional attention and drew crowds of people to hear him speak of the kingdom opportunity at hand and the absolute necessity of personal repentance in light of the kingdom opportunity at hand. It was during this period that Matthew wants us to see Jesus. Now, Matthew always wants us to see Jesus, but Matthew wants us to see Jesus in a particular way. Matthew wants us to see Jesus in the terms of the promised king. 
in relationship to that promised kingdom. And in this particular case, he wants us to see uh, the Lord Jesus in the terms of that promised king beginning to form his governing and operational court of men. The ancient Jewish nation had been organized by God, God the king, governmentally around the elders of the 12 tribes of Israel. You could describe Old Testament Israel in its ancient days as God the king and the 12 tribes. God the king and his uh, Israeli court. That governmental structure is then perpetuated forward in the record of the New Testament, even as it developed under the Old Testament. When the nation of Israel longed back in the day for a human earthly king as other nations, you may recall that Samuel, God's prophet, was heart sick and resisted the idea among the congregation. And yet God told his faithful prophet not to resist the idea, but to duly warn the people back in that day of the ways of a king, the ways or the manner of a king. Part of that warning given by Samuel the prophet to Israel back in the old ancient day in which they lusted for an earthly human king included these words. He, the earthly king, will take your sons for himself and appoint them for himself. 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 11. Now my point in all this this morning is to expand our list of what fishing means. Fishing in our day can involve fish, it can involve text messages, And for believers in Jesus, it can involve the sharing of the good news of the cross and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. But my question this morning is, what exactly, and I mean exactly, what exactly did the four men think about on the day of record as recorded in our scriptures? What did they think about? I'm talking about Andrew, Peter, James, and John. What were they thinking When Jesus said to them, I will make you fishers of men before the cross, before the resurrection, before uh, the ascension, when they had indeed no clue of those things whatsoever. Peter, James, John, and Andrew had no clue of the cross when Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They had no clue about the resurrection. They had no clue about the aspect of the ascension. Had no clue about those things whatsoever. And so the simple reality that we, that we think upon this morning from the text is that discipleship couldn't have meant exactly for Andrew, Peter, James, and John on this day uh, in the same way that discipleship means for me and for you in this modern day. Now, in order to answer the question, what exactly did the four men think about when Jesus said to them, "Uh, follow me and I will make you fishers of men? 
To begin to answer that question this morning, I would like to turn to the prophetic vision of Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and a and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. And all God's people say, Boy, amen to that. Christian scholars and every, uh, uh, the, every conservative, even Jewish scholar, identifies the Son of Man in the prophecy of Daniel 7 with uh, the Messiah. You may recall that the favorite title, the favorite self-title of Jesus was son of man. He more often spoke of himself as the son of man than any other way as recorded in the New Testament. Now our minds are conditioned by the knowledge of the first advent that you and I have. And therefore we rightly associate this king and ultimate kingdom prophecy with the second coming of Jesus Christ. We're right to do that. That would be a right theological perspective in light of what we now know concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'd like us to look at it from the perspective of the faithful living during the days of the Lord's earthly ministry in that first advent. Men like Andrew, Peter, James, and John would rightly think, they would rightly think, based upon the prophetic visions, they would rightly think that after the collapse of the four world empires under the judgment of God, namely Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, as named in prophecy, they would think that after the fall of those world empires, that God's king and kingdom would come. And they would know, as we just read and were reminded in Daniel 7, that once God's kingdom did in fact come, that it would never end and in fact would be never destroyed. That is the last great kingdom on earth for all time, the kingdom of God on earth. That is what they would have anticipated. So how would the four men in the text, Matthew chapter 4, how would they think that this ultimate sense of the kingdom come 
or kingdom of promise, how would they think that it would be ushered in? Well, they would think that the, that the king would somehow uh, come and be identifiable by the aspect of at least some that were indeed uh, uh, in Israel, uh, the men representing uh, uh, the people that had come to the conviction that, uh, that the king had come, uh, would then uh, bring, listen, they would bring the promised king before God in exactly the same way that the elders of Hebron brought David before the Lord to be anointed back in the day. In fact, the prophecy read said of some unidentified group, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13, and they brought him near before him. Now, you got a little bit of a pronoun thing to chase there. And they brought him before him. Well, let's deal with the hymns first. Uh, uh, first, they brought him. Who? They brought the Son of Man. They brought the King Apparent. Uh, they brought the, the Christ. Uh, Daniel's prophecy was of an unspecified group uh, bringing, as it were, the King. And where are they bringing him? They're bringing him before uh, God. They're bringing him before uh, God the Father, they're bringing him before uh, uh, the presence of God for his anointing. And when he is there before uh, God uh, on this occasion of his anointing, uh, there was given unto him a dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all people and all nations and all languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom never ends. That's the prophecy. So I would like to suggest to you that when Andrew, Peter, James, and John heard Jesus say, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. I would like to suggest to you that they at that moment saw themselves as being some of those individuals aware of who was indeed king, manifest, and apparent to be presented before God as the forever king. I would like to suggest that Andrew, Peter, James, and John thought that they may well be part of the pronoun they. In Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. Here it is again. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him, Messiah, near before him, the Ancient of Days, God the Father, and then is given to him the dominion, the kingdom of promise. I would like to suggest to you this morning that Andrew and Peter and James and John uh, saw themselves in this moment of invitation as being uh, invited 
to help form uh, the king and his court. As part of the pronoun they, that would have the blessed opportunity to present the king before God, ultimately for anointing. I remind you that Matthew's goal in presenting Jesus, as we have repeatedly stated since the beginning of this series, is that we would understand that Christ is, or that Jesus is the very Christ, the king, and that Matthew would also desire to explain to us why there has been this delay in the kingdom of God on earth as promised. The four men in our text had repented of their sins. The four men in our text had poised themselves for kingdom reality as was being offered by John the Baptizer and by the Lord Jesus himself. Jesus, the Jewish king, uh, uh, born king of the Jews, would soon enough identify uh, uh, 12 selected men according to his kingdom purpose. Here then is the Lord's official call to four of those men according to that kingdom purpose. Fishing would have been understood as somehow related to getting the promised king anointed by the congregation of Israel. Hold that thought, but let's now chase a few additional insights from our text. First of all, we gain insight by looking at the walk of the Lord in verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother. Please note this, at the moment in which the two brothers are there, Historically, it would have been Simon and Andrew. The commentary called Peter would not have been true in time at that moment. That is a referencing uh, from, the, from the storyteller's view. Peter was not called Peter until Jesus said, Thou shalt be called Peter. But nonetheless, you have Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were Fishers. The walking in verse 18 is attached to the preaching in verse 17 by a simple connective word, and. Verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and Jesus walking. So what's Jesus doing in this moment of time? Well, he's preaching and walking and preaching and walking and preaching and walking. Not preaching and driving. There's no cars to drive. He's preaching and walking and preaching and walking. And as the record has it, he's walking in this case lakeside as reported. And indeed, we need to understand something a little more about that walking of Jesus if we are to be benefited and understand it for our own embrace. The walking and the preaching go together. This walking by the sea was not accidental, nor was it even incidental. It was deliberate according to kingly purpose and appointment. Matthew wants us to connect the call to repentance 
and the preaching that that kingdom is near or at hand, as promised, to the king's selection of these men according to kingdom purpose. Now, Sherry could tell you that this particular week, I struggle to know how to bring this to your attention because I see Matthew's purpose as being so singular and driven in a singular way, and yet all of my dead buddies, for the most part, and almost all of the modern commentaries uh, want to take this occasion to jump off into the land of evangelical blue goo and uh, sing the song, I will make you fishers of men if you follow me, and then talk to God's people about following Christ. And I certainly want to talk to you about following Christ. But I really do believe with all my heart that we miss the great thrust of the passage. And we miss the great testimony that is raised in these four men if we move too quickly to, I will make you fishers of men especially recognizing that the uniqueness of our call to follow Christ is not exactly in the same parameter of nature as was indeed the call that was given to Peter and Andrew and ultimately James and John as recorded in our text. Matthew wants us to connect the call uh, uh, to repentance, a call that is preached widely among the entire nation of people, uh, to the preaching of the kingdom at hand or near, and also then connect that to the promise of this king's selection of these men according to kingdom purpose. The four named men in Matthew's account before us had interacted with the Lord Jesus on multiple occasions prior to this moment of record. Andrew, Peter, James, and John had followed Jesus on some day trips. Andrew, Peter, James, and John had followed Jesus in some short-term ministry endeavors involving some extended regional travel and assistance. You'll find proof of that in John chapter 1, 2, 3, 4. John chapter 1 assigns to these men elements of truth, John chapter 1 assigns to these men elements of trust in Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the promised king. John tells us that it was Andrew, Peter's younger brother, who first interacted with the Lord Jesus and came and got his brother Peter and said, Peter, we have found the Messiah. And Peter said, yeah, right, kid. And then Peter came. And then Jesus said, you're going to be known as Peter from now on, not Simon. And nonetheless, uh, there's an interaction. And uh, that interaction took place before, before. These men, Andrew, Peter, James, John, before what Matthew records for us as happening here in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 22, long before that, these men had had an extended interaction, uh, multiple occasions of interaction 
uh, with the Lord Jesus over many months before this record of occasion. That's why we're studying Matthew's account uh, as it relates to the truth of the matter and not following some Hollywood fiction by way of a film. Anybody that tries to put all the scripture into a 90-minute movie has missed more than they've grabbed. And I'm not saying there's no value in it, but the value is so little for the people of God that it's hardly worth the effort. But nonetheless, nonetheless, uh, kingdom purpose has been on Matthew's mind from the very beginning of his gospel account, and I'm simply saying that he hasn't ended with that thought as we come to the words that are familiar to us in the terms of discipleship. Now, here's something very interesting. I think this one fact will, will change your mindset concerning Andrew, Peter, James, and John. John chapter 4 even indicates that these four men had been active in baptizing others that responded to the preaching demand of Jesus to repent in the light of the kingdom opportunity at hand. John chapter 4 says that these guys right here had already been active in ministry with the Lord Jesus and that they were carrying out the baptisms of those individuals that were responding to the preaching ministry of the Lord Jesus when he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I think that really changes the nature of this call. They are not for just at a high school guy's setting at a lunch counter when Jesus walks in and the bell rings on the door and he looks at him and says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they drop their chocolate malteds and run after him. No, these are guys that were familiar with Jesus. These were guys that were already in the category of trust and truth. These guys are the ones that have identified the Lord Jesus as Messiah. They had concluded already that Jesus was the Christ. And on this day, the Lord Jesus says to two sets of those born brothers, follow me. Now, we've called this an invitation, but it is an invitation not to be refused. The three Greek words translated, follow me, kind of rare. Usually, when we compare English and Greek, the Greek word is minimal, and the English is, uh, is maximum. In other words, it usually takes five, six, seven English words to translate one or two Greek words. In this case, Three Greek words translate two English words, follow me. And the first thing about that is that uh, this is not just uh, follow me if you want. Uh, follow me is imperative. It's a command. And I would say it's the command of the king. The king doesn't just say follow me if you want to. He says, follow me. It's imperative. The second thing that I note about those words is that 
in the original language of the New Testament, those words literally translate, come now after me. Jesus came to Andrew and Peter after having many interactions with them, after having them be engaged with him in the official presentation of the kingdom truth. Repent, for the kingdom of God is promised is at hand. They had already engaged in those things. And Jesus comes to them on a given day when they're engaged in their day jobs. And he says to them, come now after me. I also find that the word called down in verse 21 in reference to James and John is the familiar word for call or called, but it too is imperative. This is not some mere invitation, follow me if you want to. This is the command. And again, I suggest the command of a king. Follow me. Come now after me. These are men that had learned from and interacted with the Lord Jesus. Very soon after hearing John the baptizer say, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. These are hard-working men of faith in God and his promises. Fishermen, sure. But fishing does not characterize their life in the whole. These men are men of truth. These men are men of trust. Not all the original apostles were fishermen by trade. As best we can tell, seven out of twelve were. But they were all hardworking men of faith in God and increasingly convinced that Jesus was indeed the promised Christ, the promised Messiah. All that flows out of Jesus walking by the lakeside. Secondly, this definitive calling of four men, we also gain insight into the work of the Lord as appointed out of heaven. For Jesus did say, I will make you fishers of men. The focus and nature of the Lord's work involves people, men, anthropos, people, not men as a, uh, as a gender, but people, that sense of men. Uh, he had bo uh, been born in the eternal plan of God to save his people from their sins. Jesus informs the four that the nature of the work that they will do involves people and that they would of necessity need to be made fit for such work by Jesus himself. They had caught fish for people to eat. But they would need to be trained to catch people for kingdom purpose. That the kingdom promise would come. The way in which I am convinced that Andrew and Peter and James and John would have heard this invitation 
is that the Lord wanted then to train them further for kingdom purpose so that the promised kingdom, as they understood it, coming out of the Old Testament scriptures, praying, as it were, a prophetic vision of God's forever kingdom, that that kingdom, as promised, would indeed come. And so, confident am I that that was their thinking at this point, that at the end of the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and just before the ascension of Christ, Acts records that these same men said to the, Je- said to the Lord Jesus, okay, Lord, you died on the cross, you rose again the third day. Uh, is it, 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 now, 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 are we going to have uh, the kingdom on earth? Now? Is it coming now? Uh, we're all about the kingdom. It's always been about the kingdom. From the very get-go, we, we saw you as the king, and it's all about the kingdom. And so now is the kingdom going to come to earth since you died on the cross and you resurrected? And now are, is it all the kingdom? And just before Jesus ascended out of their sight, he said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father hath placed under his own hand. But ye shall be witnesses unto me. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. As you are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Quite a moment. I'm just saying to you that these Jewish men were never, 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 never far in mind from the truth of king and kingdom. These men were not picked because of their formal education. They weren't picked because of their political experience. They weren't picked because of their expertise in working with large groups of people. I mean, they had experience with large groups of fish. They would become what they were not because of the transformational time spent with Jesus personally while training on the job. There's an old saying, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. And it's clear from the preaching of Jesus and this invitation that the Lord came to fix people that were spiritually and sinfully broken and eternally misdirected. This was the work of the Lord. This is the work of the Lord. This aligns beautifully with Old Testament kingdom prophecies. And that brings us this morning to number three. This definitive calling of these four men, we see uh, the willingness of of obedient hearts to a man. (laughs) All four, stop, drop, and get on the roll in following Jesus as invited. Particularly striking is the statement concerning James and his brother John in verse 22. The two sons were literally in one of the family-owned fishing boats, 26 feet long, about seven and a half feet wide, about four feet deep, uh, equipped with a small kitchen for the purpose of nighttime cooking while fishing all night long. Uh, The fishing boats of the period were equipped with both a sail and oars, and it took at least three to five men in each boat to run the thing. Uh, The sons were in the boat with their dad. 
working to maintain their essential equipment, when the Lord bids the two sons to come. And immediately they left the ship, and the scripture is precise to tell us that they left their dad in the ship, still mending the net. They followed Christ as they were bidden. Following in obedience to the call of Christ would change their relationships to many things and would change their relationships to many people. The hallmark of disciples is always the same. The hallmark of disciples is always the same. That hallmark is trust and obey. Disciples are those who trust the Lord. Disciples are those that obey the Lord. We are a generation of believers on the earth that have taken those two things apart and put them in different lockers. And we have said, oh, it's just perfectly fine to trust the Lord, and you don't have to worry about obeying them at all, uh, but just trust them, just trust them, just trust them. And we have talked about faith in a way that is easy and believing in a way that is easy and happy for people to embrace. And yet the church is weak, and the testimony of the world is, is, is yet in sin and despair, and we are not the lighthouse we are meant to be. Because we have forgotten the hallmark of discipleship. Yes, trust. Yes, trust. Yes, saved by grace through faith, and that alone. Yes, yes, and yes. But the hallmark of discipleship is trust and obey. They dropped their nets. They left their dad. They followed Christ. Question. Why didn't Zebedee uh, raise a voice of complaint? My dad would have. Uh, why didn't he uh, uh, give some word of resistance? Like, hey, 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 what do you mean? What do you mean? Come now after you. Hey, we got work to do. This is a family business. We need the family in the boat. Why, there's too many holes in our net for one man to mend. Get back in this boat, James. Get back in this boat, John. Oh, Dad. I mean, you can... You could make a movie out of that. None of that. None of that. Why? Why? Well, I think it suggests that Zebedee, too, had enough exposure to and interaction with the Lord Jesus to be increasingly convinced that he was the Christ, the man of God's own promise, the king of prophecy come. When the king tells your sons what to do as a dad, you are thrilled to have them do it. At least you're thrilled to have them do it if you believe that he really is the king. King Jesus is still calling according to kingdom purpose. And all who hear are to trust and obey.
Matthew gives us this snapshot of the king and his men that we might know this Jesus is indeed the Christ of promise and prophecy. Matthew gives to us this snapshot of the king and his men that we might understand why the promised kingdom did not come to Israel back in that day. If the nation had responded like these four men, that nation would not be in trouble. But they did not. The call to disciples then, the call to disciples now, is the call of the king to trust and obey. Father, thank you for the clarity of the text and the record of the moment in time in which we might understand and embrace for ourselves the blessed truth of trust and obey. May every man, every woman, every teen, every child in attendance this morning ask themselves, do I trust? Am I obedient? May we view ourselves in the mirror of the word of God as to trust and obey. For indeed, we do recognize you this morning and you alone, our God, our Savior Jesus Christ, by the indwelling blessed spirit, as more precious than anything named on earth. Help us then to be a responsive people we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.